I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Welcome back to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Mike. And this is Kate. Today, we interviewed our friend, Sarah Kathleen Peck, who we met at WDS, the World Domination Summit. And she will tell the story of how and why it involves a six-mile open water nude swim. It's not six miles. Oh, no. It's like a mile. (laughs) Wow. I just over-exaggerated. But it's still an interesting story. It's far. It has to do with the escape to Alcatraz and an open water swim in 55-degree water in the nude. So You just gave it away. You gave the whole thing away. You don't know. They don't know who is swimming. They don't know why. Oh, well, they, they don't know, know because you said, Sarah, it's the person no. that were featured on the... I said how we met. Oh, got it. Okay. I did not give it away. Okay. I think I okay. just did. <sighs> anyway, so okay. Sarah is brilliant. And I have to say, just reading her bio right now, I learned so much more about her. So Sarah runs a media company called Startup Pregnant, which documents untold stories of what it looks like to be a woman in leadership, life, and work. And it's her, her podcast, the Startup Pregnant podcast, shares long-form stories of parenting, business, entrepreneurship, and growth. I was on the Startup Pregnant podcast. We'll link it in the show notes. Sarah's just one of the smartest women I know, and it's been really cool to be on sort of a parallel journey So we became moms about the same time. And then we started really having these thoughts about doing less and feminine leadership and the parallels between pregnancy and creativity and business all at the same time. So it's kind of fascinating. She worked as the VP of communications at the Y Combinator backed company one month. I don't even know what Y Combinator backed company means, but she's like has been big in the startup tech world. Isn't that the thing in... Well, there's that. Th- isn't there a thing called the Y Combin- Combinator? And I feel like it's a place you pitch your business and yeah. then investors. I think you're right. And I think Snapchat came out of that or some other. Cool. Places. Yeah. So she also, her writing and business projects have been featured in 75 plus different publications, including the New York Times, Fast Company, Huffington Post, Fast Company. Oh, Fast Company is written twice. 99U Psychology Today and more and just this is an interesting side note Sarah has a master's degree in landscape architecture and regional planning from UPenn which she's not actively using right now but it's kind of interesting she's also a certified yoga teacher open water swimmer after being she had a collegiate swimming career which was a pretty big deal and she has an adorable son named Leo with her adorable husband Alex, and you'll also hear about the amazing story of how Alex decided to take Sarah's name instead of her taking his name. So what do you have to say about this episode, honey? It's good. I think that's, I don't think I should add any but more. But what did you share with me after we got off the line with Sarah? I shared that I could talk to her for like three hours straight. Yeah. And you also said you were like, she is so smart. She is somebody to actually yeah, take there's... business advice from. I did say it was just somebody because of the what we talked about a lot in the episode. I guess I'll share about it now. I was just going to let you guys listen to the episode. But the... we got to give them a reason to listen to the episode. 
It's the Kate and Mike show. What else do they need? Well, you know, we've got our diehards, but here are the notes about what we talked about. If you want. Yeah, but I don't, we don't need to go down that. Okay. The, <laughs> you like want to give away the whole podcast. Let's just do the podcast before the, and before the Apparently podcast. I need to work on the tease. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just like, you want to give so much detail. We don't need it. We don't need to do it. The, basically it was how she organized her life, you know, and I'm just going to leave it at that and minimize things to create a system for herself that is very implementable, even if you think like systems are out of your element. Like it's very doable and how kind of how she was able to now her whole mindset around it might be a little bit overwhelming, but there's things you can take away from it that implement to and anybody could do it and just simplify the process of how they're living their life. And she was able to do that and just how she analyzed it and her creation around it. Like he's really smart. You know, I started noticing this. I told Kate this after we got the podcast, like once you have a kid, you kind of forget that people are <laughs> going to be so bad. But like when you hang out with people, you forget like there's really smart people in the world because like a lot of times you just hang out with people. You just talk about your kid, right? Before children, you really dive into what people's lives are like and what they do for work, et cetera. And after having kids, so it was cool to well, just, if you're hanging out with other people with kids, correct? Yeah. Which, which we do a lot, which is majority of the time now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so it is the, to have conversations on a much higher level like this. It was really cool. It brought me back to the, yeah, just like, I don't know. It was just a great episode. I really got a lot out of it. I, it taught me from somebody that likes to keep things a little bit more minimal and systematize everything. It was cool to hear someone else's process to go through that as well. And one thing you're going to learn is how she, in her planning ahead for 2018, she eliminated 50% of her workload and how radically doing less is one of her tenets of life. Yeah. And she embodies it pretty much better than anyone I've ever met. So yeah, it was great. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the Kate and Mike show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So you and I have somehow ended up thinking about the exact same things all the time, which I love when it comes, especially to entrepreneurship, motherhood, and doing less to have more. And it's so cool to have somebody who is so smart and insightful and just like reflecting back all these brilliant ideas that you're putting out there into the world. And just, I just, it's like, I love it when you're thinking about something and then somebody you respect and appreciate so much is thinking about the exact same thing. It's so cool. Part of me is so grateful because I think it makes me feel less alone you know, because you're like, oh, someone else is thinking about this. There's someone else to bounce ideas around with. There's a hundred different ways to do things too. Yeah. So I get to just say, oh, wow, look, Kate's doing this amazing thing. She's leading this community. Origin is such a beautiful space. And then I get to be over here saying, what does it look like when it turns out into a podcast or a book or et cetera? It's really fun. I'm so excited. And I don't think we can have enough people having this conversation. So thank you for coming on our podcast to talk about, well, a little bit your podcast, which I do want to talk about. And then also these amazing. So by the way, Sarah Her sent books me. books are color coded. Yeah, I know. Just like ours. Oh, yeah. I know. That's I know. Great. You can't see this listening in, but Sarah's bookshelves are totally color coded just <laughs> like ours. <laughs> it's a very satisfying visual backdrop, Sarah. Oh, all right. So we met at the World Domination Summit 
Oh like, yeah. Remember when you got up to share your story about your swimming, which was such a crazy story. We just tell just because like it's fun to uh, kind of get to know you. Story. Can you share your story about swimming? I forgot about that. Sure. I was turning twenty nine, and I wanted to do something more meaningful for my birthday, and. I was a former college swimmer, an athlete, and I said, how could I make swimming into something that people will pay money for? Which is actually a pretty hard question because there are very few professional swimmers that actually make any money. But I found out about Charity Water through Chris Gillibo, and he said, donate your birthday. So I said, well, let's do something crazy. How about I swim from Alcatraz in my birthday suit, which means naked. Sometimes I have to tell that to people in my birthday suit means actually being <laughs> naked. <laughs> so I'll go into some freezing cold water and I'll swim the escape from Alcatraz, but I'll only do it if people donate more than $29,000 for my birthday. And apparently a lot of my friends wanted me to be very cold and naked. <laughs> from Alcatraz to where? To San Francisco. So the escape goes from the island, the rock, and it goes about a mile and a half swim and it goes to aquatic park on the coast of San Francisco. Wow. Did you wear a swimming cap to keep your water out of your face? I did. I did. I wore a swimming cap and I wore goggles. And this may be TMI, but it was one of the first times I swam and my boobs were like floating around and it was very weird. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because swimming swimsuits for like swimmers are very tight. Yeah. They like hold everything in. And I was swimming and I kept rushing up. And I'm not a very buxom person for people listening. And I was just like, I was like, my nipples don't like this. That's so weird. It is. Was it freezing? 58 degrees. What? That's chilly. No, that's really cold. It's quite cold. It's not really cold. I did. I did. So I had done the escape from Alcatraz eight times before that. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So I knew the swim and I don't advise people to people come to me and I, I actually taught somebody on MTV to do the swim. I was there with him during oh, the really? swim. I did. And I don't advise you to just do it on a whim because yeah. there's so many forces at play. It's really dangerous. The tide moves faster than you can really swim. So you can't out swim it. And there are sharks. Okay. Wow. So Angie raised $29,000 for Charity Water. Yeah, we ended up raising $33,000 because someone donated $5,000 to get us over the hump. We were like $28,000. Wow. Yeah. Oh, we were at that Charity Water thing together, weren't we? Yes, uh-huh. that's where yeah. we met her. Yeah. <laughs> just joining oh us. Hello. <laughs> parenting. This is what parenting does to you, by the way. It's like memory slightly changes. I think the benefit of sleep deprivation is you actually are happier in some regards because you can't remember everything. And also it makes you talk about things like boobs, which I just did. Which is totally normal. It's, yeah, that's fine. Totally normal. See, well, no, I just like, I know we've known each other, but I just, just you forgot we how. just know each other. I don't know. I feel like it's but been But that's like where we met at that rooftop adventure. party. I don't remember why we were there, but because I do remember we, why Sarah was there. Because I gave my birthday oh, you gave and raised like $6,000 or something. Yeah. You yeah. Did. You gave your 30th. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which was cool. For $5,000. I think it was at three and then it surpassed that and we went to five or something. Yeah. 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 yeah so we got invited because we were big or I guess larger contributors. I guess 5000 is a so, lot. I think so. It's good. Everything yeah. counts. Yeah. It's yeah. so and important. Charity Water is such a cool charity because 100% of donations go 
towards actually delivering water to people as opposed Mm -hmm. to other charities where a huge percentage actually goes to admin, but they have that fully funded by private donors, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. All right. So then you had a baby, not in rapid succession, (laughs) but your little guy is 20 months old, Leo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With your amazing husband, Alex. And can we, can I just, this is such a side note, but I love that Alex decided to take your name instead of you taking Alex's name or you keeping yours and him keeping his. Can you talk about that? Sure, sure. So Alex used to be Alex Miles Younger, and his name is still inside of a lot of books because he was a book designer for a number of years. So if you flip open Danielle Laporte's book, you'll see his old name in there because he was the early designer for some of those books. But when we got married, we didn't. neither of us changed our names. We didn't have an urgency or an importance. And then... Once we decided to have children together, we said, well, we want to share all of us have a family name. But his last name being Younger and my last name being Peck, we thought maybe we could combine it, but Young Pecker, we just didn't (laughs) didn't have a good ring to it. So he said, you know what, I'll take your last name. And I was actually the one that was a little more hesitant. I was like, are you sure? You should call your mom. Ask her how she feels about that. <laughs> and, and he was like, okay. And he called his parents and he was like, how do you feel? He's the only son in his family. So if he dropped his last name, there wouldn't be any more of his last name, at least in this part of the family lineage. And so we decided to do it. The process was a lot harder than we expected. Kate, have you been through this? Well, I have, and I found it very annoying, but I can only imagine that because so few men are coming through the system trying to change their name. Like it's one thing I call up Marriott and I'm like, hi, I I got married and I changed my last name. And so this is my married name. And can I change it? At least I'm like in the flow of what they do, but I can only imagine what Alex came up against. Oh, I think my favorite part of the story. So he went to the courthouse, he brought the official documents. He was in line at the teller. The courthouse was open from nine to one because like, they're open for four hours. And it was like 11. And the lady goes, oh, you need to have your wife's permission. So you have to come back and oh. get my, because to take somebody else's name, you actually have to have the permission of the person whose name it is. Okay. So you had to come back, get my driver's license, get my signed, like, seal of approval that he could take my name. And she's like, and we close at one and you're not going to make it back guy sprints across New York City, like down eight flights of stairs, doesn't wait for the elevator, sprints across, like grabs it from me, makes it back 1255. And the lady high fives him. She's like, I've never seen anyone A, move that fast or take anyone else's name. That's awesome. Yeah. Go Alex. He's great. There was a lot more of like changing your credit cards, changing your bank accounts, changing your driver's license, carrying around proof of everything. And right now we're going through all those fun adulting things like getting life insurance and like putting together a will and all those other things. You're like, I need to do that. He, in order to access things like his social security administration benefits, has to have proof of former identification on him at all times. Wow. Wow. So what was it for you that was hesitant? Like, why were you hesitant? I didn't know if I wanted to change my name. So I guess I wasn't sure which way to go. I thought it sounded like a cool idea, but I also thought maybe I would change my name and keep Sarah Kathleen Peck as my professional identity and then take Sarah Younger. I think the tipping point was 
that his sister's name is Sarah Younger and he's uh-huh. from Kentucky and he was like, I don't need to marry my sister. <laughs> Got it. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Mike's sister's name used to be Kate Watts, but she got married before us. So she already was not Kate Watts. So then Kate Watts was available. So yeah. I was like, I'll take it. Okay. It's funny. So you should get her old email addresses. Cause that way, I know, totally. You gave, me an, you gave me an answer for your hesitation, but like, why were you hesitant for Alex to change his name? To yours. To yours. I think he has such a beautiful name. Like hmm. I thought Alex Miles Younger was just such a, I love the name Miles too. I loved his middle name and it was just beautiful on paper. And he actually ended up dropping his middle name because Alex Peck, it was just beautiful aesthetically. Alex Peck sounds forward. great. Yeah. So these designers getting all fancy with their names. Yeah. Words have aesthetic. I know. I mean, you great. were talking about baby names and I we're know. like trying them out and it's like, Ooh, it doesn't quite have the right. I know. It makes yep. sense. Yeah. It's, it yeah. matters. Names yeah, cool. matter. Okay. So switching gears, you are one of the most remarkable people I know in terms of living the do less philosophy, your own version of it, of course. I love when I asked in the origin community, you know, examples of simplifying your life so that you could have access to more resources. And you were like, well, I just only have two pairs of shoes and (laughs) I like got rid of all of our clothes so we could fit them all in one dresser and I don't wear makeup. And I get my hair cut once a year. Like, I was just like, what the, wow. (laughs) This remarkable, unabashed, like, challenging of all the norms that we've been raised with of like, well, no, you have to have, you know, a couple, like three pairs, I don't know, a couple pairs of pants. And you're like, no. I mean, I don't know how many pairs of pants you have, but I just love it. I, ha- I now have two pairs of jeans. I have a couple pairs of yoga pants, but I have two pairs of jeans because the real challenge, we live in an apartment building and going down to do the laundry without having pants can be hard. That's very wise to get <laughs> the, the, the pants for when your other pants are dirty. So yeah. do you know how many articles of total clothing you have? No, I don't do anything like the Courtney Carver 333333 method, but generally speaking, I have two drawers of clothes in the dresser and your socks and underwear and bras it does so the bottom drawer is socks underwear bras sports bras exercise clothes like that's the bottom drawer and then the top drawer is shirts long sleeve shirts sweaters pants and then do you have a closet we have a closet that we share so i've got about 20 hangers and then this dresser is kind of normal dresser it's not like the entire length of your apartment yeah it's an ikea dresser yeah, it's you know it's a tall five drawer IKEA dresser. I do. Let's be fair. I do have four under bed storage containers. One of them is filled with Leo's old clothes for a second baby, and then I think one of them is filled with maternity clothes for me because I realized how much I was my just body ask is. You about that. Yep. Yeah, like I now go through about four different sizes of jeans, you know, on the up and the back, and I used to just get rid of things quickly, and now it's like, oh no, I've got my twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, thirty two. Like I just <laughs> they just go up and back. That's great. Yeah, it is a very, like, it's it's an, I just, I would like to get rid of clothing right now, but it makes no sense because yeah. I'm going to, I don't know where I'll land. But even that. maternity clothing for me, I found two pairs of pants got me through most of it. I wear pretty much two pairs of pants plus some leggings. Yeah. But yeah. like two pairs of actual pants, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what, you know, like one pair of jeans and then one pair of black jeans. Do you work out? Uh-huh. She okay. just talked about her sports bra. I know. But like, <laughs> how does that work? I guess that my only question about anything is like, 
what about the workout situation? Yeah. So I have, I have at least, well, all of those shirts that you get from people for their company swag are my workout shirts. And then I've got a couple of like exercise Lululemon tanks. You don't need more than four or five as long as you wash every, every weekend. So I'm not like a supreme minimalist. I just don't find it useful to have more stuff. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Understood. Shoes are, shoes are the most, I think what I did that I'd love about Two and a half years ago is I settled on four pairs of shoes, one per season, and I just wear them every day. And then I have a nice pair of heels, a pair of tennis shoes, and a pair of flip-flops. So is, is your nice pair of heels, I have to ask about the minutiae. I'm like, wait, I love this what? so much. This so- so your nice pair I, of- We got to go. I got to get off. I got to go. I got to de- I got to get rid of clothes. We got a minimal like let's go. You are speaking Mike's language. Yeah, this is amazing. So your one pair of shoes per season, but no your your fancy shoes. Do the, are those four season shoes like you could wear them to a wedding happening any time of year? No, and I, I guess one of the benefits is that I'm not that fancy. I really kind of skirt the line, I think, because I right now my fancy shoes, you might really laugh at me, are the Tom's flats. Yeah. Those black velvet, like with a point yeah. on them. That's what, and if it's winter, I just wear my boots and then I switch shoes when I get inside. Okay, and you don't wear heels. You said you have I one. I think I got rid of all of them. So usually in that nice shoe, once the Tom's are gone, I might get another pair of heels, but I'm 5'10", so... It's trouble if I wear heels. Got it. I'm like six one. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome if you wear heels, but I also <laughs> honor that, like you don't need to. Yeah. You're already taller than a lot of people. So then transferring this. Is that why you wear heels? To be taller than people? Well, it makes my legs look longer. I'm really pretty short. So no, I don't wear heels to look taller. I mean, I'm all right. Even if I wear heels, so is everyone else. So I'm still short. So no, that's not the Why purpose. do women wear heels? Well, men I first told you, I wear heels because they make my legs look longer. Oh, okay. Heels were invented by men, I believe. It used Probably to be most. men that wanted to be taller. Yeah. And it switched in some century, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now yeah. women do it. It's for, like, like height is a real thing. If, if you're taller, you make more money. If you're taller, you get more stuff, whatever it is. So, I mean, there's things that I don't love doing. I'm a bit ornery. I don't love wearing makeup. That simplified my routine a whole bunch. And I don't like wearing high heels, but I also am smart or try to be smart enough to play the game. Like if it's important for me to do in order to get more of what I want, I will do it. I love that. Got it. Yeah. Great. So now you have taken this editing this ruthless editing, I would say, into your business and your life as well. And so you were planning ahead for 2018 and you told me over email that you eliminated 50% of your workload in your planning process. So we need to hear about that. How the heck did you do that? Well, and to be fair, let's start with the framework of I'm always learning and I'm not doing this well. And so I'm desperate for solutions and to figure it out. And the real thing, and I'm glad that we talked about this a little bit earlier. The real thing that catapulted this was Alex and I are thinking of having another kid. We're thinking about baby number two. And so I'm looking forward at 2018 and saying, let's do this differently than last time. Right? Last time I thought I could just go forward, charge ahead, and like Tim Gunn, make it work through everything, which was really hard. My first pregnancy, I was pretty sick. I was sick for 18 weeks, which is like half of the pregnancy. It was terrible. And the only thing that really got me through it was that I had negotiated a contract with the person I was working for. I was working at a startup where I only worked four days a week. 
And every Wednesday I worked from home, writing my own stuff, building my own projects. And it was a great, great setup because I think that's what saved me during the pregnancy. It's midweek. I laid on bed the entire time and just focused on like catching up and recovering. And so I don't want to do that again. I don't want to force myself through like overwork and trying to do it all. And I mean, it's a lesson that's going to come due in some way or another, whether it's a baby or a kid or a business or a project. So I did this thing. It's, it's not that radical, but it was for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I drew it all out on paper, which people won't be able to see, but I will walk you through it. Okay, great. <laughs> and I can send, I'll send you these little drawings because okay. they help me think. Could you and hold it, that up again, please? Yeah, of course. So this is the first one. Okay, this is awesome. Okay, so. Okay. <laughs> is it possible, Sarah, just because now I know people listening are wanting to see those. Is it possible to, to just take a shot of them with your phone so we can include them in the show notes? Sure. I can send okay, them all to you. So yeah. drawings are at katenorthup.com forward slash podcast when you click on this episode show notes. Perfect. I'll send them to you. So planning ahead for having a baby, I said, I don't know when I'm going to get pregnant. We don't know exactly when that's going to be, but I do know probably what it'll feel like, roughly speaking. And I said, okay, I want to ask myself a couple of questions. The first question is how many hours do I have in a year? How many hours do I have in a year? I said, well, I don't really know. And I started doing a whole bunch of mapping. And it goes like this. Well, how many hours do you have in a given week? Say you work about 40. I have 40 hours a week. I'm going to use myself as an example here so that people can follow along and yeah. then you can chart your own. But I have 40 hours of daycare in a given week. But when I'm really honest about that fits in exercise, that fits in household management, that fits in running to the grocery store. So on my best week ever, taking into account exercise and household, I have about 26 hours of time to work in my best week ever okay, how many work weeks do I have in a calendar year? Well, we have 52 weeks in the calendar year, but I started jotting it down and I said, and this is something you taught me too, right? Like if you don't plan for rest and vacation, it won't happen. So I said 52 weeks, but we take a week off for Christmas. We take a week off for Thanksgiving. We take a four-week sabbatical every August. That's awesome. There's, yeah, we're working really hard on that as a family. They're 10 holidays. They're generally give or take 10 holidays. So that's two weeks, right? Five days, five work days in each week. And our, does your daycare take all those holidays off? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Then there's, then, you know, I get sick. So I put in 10 sick days for me every year. This is very similar aside from the sabbatical to a typical corporate structure. They might yep. not take the week of Thanksgiving and the week of Christmas, but if it's something you want, plan ahead for it. And again, this is like, how many work weeks do I have in my best year? Right? Yeah. Like what does the ideal year look like for me? And then it's not just sick days for me. 10 sick days a year is, that's my best year. And there's 10 sick days for my kid who's home from daycare because mm. he's sick. So if you're following along, what that is, is that's 12 weeks, which kind of, of shocked me of not working, which wow. kind of ironically, it's a 40 week year. Isn't that interesting? Wow. wow. For, oh, wow. Did you factor in snow days? Is that a thing? Oh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't put in school closures. Only because where we live in Maine, it's totally a thing. So Penelope's home, That's for example, mess. today yeah. for snow day. So just if you're listening, just add in the bullet point to this planning process. If you're listening, if you have kids, add just snow days. But that might fit Gosh. into the sick days because I think, you know, 10, right. 10 so, days yeah. for each person, I think was is like, that's a, like an abundant, you know, it's, it's ample. It's great. Right, right. 
And, but I also, the challenge here was, is it true? Right? Is this true? Is this my best year? And is it true? And Leon got hit with three or four colds this year and was sick. And so did I. And, and it's just, you know, rather than constantly playing catch up when you have that day and you're like, oh, he's homesick and I don't want to and I have to get this thing done. I have to cancel my clients. I have no free days for six months. Right? It's like, well, what if I could actually think about this in a different way? So two questions. How many hours do you have in a given week? And how many work weeks do you have in your best year? So I did the math. I've got 40 weeks. I've got 26 hours a week. That's about a thousand hours a year. Okay. In every, any given month, that's 86 hours, right? In any given week, that's 21 hours. It's not that many hours. No. It's just not. And this is where it started to blow my mind. And I was like, oh, I just don't have that much time. And maybe that sounds really obvious to people listening. They're like, yeah, I could have told you that, Sarah. I, you just don't have that much time, right? But seeing it on paper kind of just kind of changed what I was thinking about. So then I decided, turning the page melodramatically. <laughs> then I decided. And you're operating on five work, you're operating on five days a week. I'm operating on Monday to Friday. And, yeah. and Leo's at okay. daycare nine to five? Yep. Yeah. Okay. 8.30 to five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've got about 40 full hours. You know, yeah. not everyone has that. So this is right. where we have to By start. By the time you do drop off and get home. and Yeah. And then I said, how long do things take? Hmm. Yep. And this, again, I am a smart person and I had never done this, right? No, it's- I've never done I've done a, like the, the tiniest little bit about it, just preparing now for maternity leave. But that's like as close to this I've ever gotten. Right. And so I brainstorm the major categories in my business and I run a podcast and I do a lot of writing. Which is called Startup Pregnant and it's awesome. Kate was a guest on the show. And we talk, she talks about, you know, similar themes that we talk about on this show. So if you like the Kate and Mike show, I think you'll like Startup Pregnant and you should listen. Hmm, thanks. Yeah. So I said, how long do things take? And my categories here, I'll, again, I'll use myself as an example because it probably will get people's minds thinking, but biz dev is one category. I'm spending time looking for what sponsors. What does that stand for, for people who don't know? Oh, business oh, development. Yeah. Okay. No, it's fine. Okay. Business development. It's like pitching, closing, communicating with people, writing up the report of how many downloads we had or how much revenue we got. The podcast that I host, articles that I write, my book manuscript, speaking, managing my team. I've got four contractors. They work a couple hours a week and communicating with them takes time. Building relationships is another category. And so one way of doing this too is to look at your calendar. Look at the past four weeks of your calendar yeah. and see what you did. And so one of the things that surprised me in relationship building was, oh, if I go out to dinner twice a week or if I go out to lunches twice a week, it takes an hour to get there. We have an hour and a half lunch. It takes an hour to come back. That's four and a half hours times two. That's nine hours a week. Wow. For two lunches. And you're like, hmm, you know, the wheels start spinning. You should um, do two in one day wherever you're going, (laughs) like a soup at one and a sandwich at another. Right. And then you cut down on the travel time. Well, one of my former bosses had the guy that I worked at at the startup. He actually parked himself in one restaurant and Uh had everyone come to him. I've done that before. It's the greatest thing ever. It's so good. Especially in New York city. Like the schlepping is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Just set yourself up. Yep. Just don't, maybe don't drink too much coffee if you can manage it. Cause I go, a little nuts. When I have gone to New York before I was pregnant, that is what I would do. I would want to see everybody. So I would just park myself at one spot and say, I'll be here from here to here and just come by. It's perfect. It's so smart to do it that way. It is. And then the last thing I was running a mastermind 
and the mastermind, I did it in 2016, 2017. I did five different cycles and that was taking about 10 hours a week. So laying it out all out on the paper. So I'm estimating per week in an ideal world. What am I doing in each of these categories? How much time does it take or not take? I was booking myself out at 63 hours a week. Oh my goodness. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Oh, no wonder I feel like I'm never getting everything done. Yeah. Because I'm not. It's impossible. Because I'm not doing it, right? You're Something negative. is falling behind. You're already negative 22 hours, 20, what, 21 hours. Well, in my ideal week, so I thought I had a 40-hour work week, which is the first problem. I have yeah. a 26-hour work week. I wasn't taking into account sick days. And then the way that I best described it to people is that it felt like I had four different brains. And one of them would be planning the book and everything I would be doing on the book. And I'd be like, Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to write on my book. It's going to be great. They're going to be uninterrupted. And then the other brain would be planning the mastermind. And I was like, okay, Wednesday, I'll do the call. And Tuesday and Thursday, I'll take all my one-on-ones. And then my other brain would be doing the podcast. And I'll be like, okay, great. On Wednesday, I'll do all the prep. And on Tuesday and Thursday, I'll interview everyone. You see where, like, they just- This doesn't work. It doesn't work. But my brain thought, like, somehow I could do it, it all, which was- I just kind of, I remember looking at my husband and I was like, oh my God, I don't have enough hours. And he cracked up because he was like, your revelation's really sweetie there. Yep, you're right. Like, <laughs> He's like, anyone that knows you could have told you this. Yeah. <laughs> but I just like, was such a surprising exercise for me. The first question is, how many hours do I have this year? Including all the vacations that you want to take. And the second one is, how long do things take? And then from there, I asked myself, well, which one is first? And I think you guys will like this chart. (laughs) I'm showing pictures and I'll send them. So I said, then I said planning ahead for getting pregnant because remember I said it was Uh my ideal week. Uh So what I did is I started, and I know this is kind of getting geeky and mathy, but I I love love this. Okay, good. I love this. (laughs) I did this super geeky, weird thing, counting words while I was writing my book. Oh yeah. On your Insta story. Yeah. So I would get out my calculator every day. It was so silly because I don't even know why I did it, but it made me happy. It's so fun. So, so what I did is I said, okay, I'm guessing, but there's a good chance that I'll get pregnant in 2018. Yeah. What does it feel like to be in my first trimester? Well, I won't have but half that time because I'll be so sick. Yeah. And what about second trimester? Okay. I'll probably be at 80%. Third trimester, maybe back to 50% because you just slow down so much. And also you have to gear up for what's coming. And also as a pregnant person with a toddler, there's this whole other aspect that you have a toddler. So it's not like being in your third trimester the first time. Oh yeah. So there's, so just, no, (laughs) I'm just telling you. that part. I'm I'm just, I'm being really honest right now. Like I'm struggling. And so there you go. (laughs) Yep. So what would you say? Would you say that like 50% of a normal week is possible in third trimester? I think 50% is totally possible. Okay. Well, it's all, it's different though, right? It's like, yeah. because your pregnancy could be different than Kate's and no, you, totally. you're like, well, it's going to be right. So Obviously, it's hard to yeah. say. And maybe you won't be sick this time yeah. around. So that's, what's so mystical about pregnancy is that every baby is so different. So like I was sick with this baby and I was not with Penelope, not like down and out, but I had a lot of missed days. And then like, here I am in the third trimester, I'm throwing up all the time which is super bizarre. So anyway, just, it's like, you just don't know. And then I'm having this thing where I cough really hard and I pee. 
which also, <laughs> so then I will tell you, I hope that doesn't happen to you, but you might want to get an extra pair of pants because I have had to, I had one day, a couple of days ago, I had to change my pants two times yeah. due to a weird throwing up incident and then a surprise sneeze. <laughs> So I'm just telling you, get some backup pants. Get some backup pants. Um, well, or some depends. No, you yeah. just I was I was gonna try the icon undies from you know Mickey right. Agarwal who created oh, yeah. um Thanks. he also has these other ones. So I'm anyway, I'll report back. Smart. Okay. Put those in the show notes. So and then for the next the having a new child, I put an optimistic twenty percent of time. Like I'm how my own business owner with Leo for a while. Like, how, yeah, I had three months of maternity leave okay. last time. And then I went back to work 50%, but I started my own business. So I was, uh-huh. I was a hundred percent. I just don't, I think sometimes I forget. I was like, no, I was building my own business again. And I was working with my company or oh, the company so I was at. Were, if total was a hundred percent, but it was total half was a hundred percent. Exactly. So then I did the first three months, 20%, the months three through six, 40%, because I'm ramping back up. And this is my best estimate of what an average, you know, middle, like not the best possible scenario, because if I have more hours, we already know that I can fill them up, right? It's like, okay, I can probably get 50% of work done. That's a reasonable estimate, right? And then I did the math. If my average week has about 21 hours in it, what's half of that? What's like 10 and a half? And that's what really blew my mind was if I only had 10 hours to get work done in a week, then the question became, what would I choose to do? Right. If you only have 10 hours a week, what's first? And I looked at all these things, mastermind, podcast, speaking, traveling, business development. Writing your book. Writing my book. And for some reason, like not like the clouds parted, but it became super clear the only thing, if I had 10 hours, the first thing I would do is record the podcast. There you go. The podcast makes money. I like content. I'm good at making content. It lives beyond me. It's still there when I'm not there. And it sets the ball rolling in terms of chess moves. Because as the podcast grows, if I take a three-month maternity leave, if the podcast keeps growing, that'll set me up for more speaking events in 2019. What really shocked me was that writing my book and running the mastermind were not on the list. And so they're on my don't do list. I'm not doing them in 2018. Wow. Wait, so, so your criteria, did you have like specific criteria or was this more of a gut feeling? Mm, For deciding which thing is Mm -hmm. first. Yeah. It's what am I really good at? Okay. And what makes me money? Great. For me, that would, those were my criteria. That's really good criteria. <laughs> what am I good at and what makes me money? And, and then what about what do you enjoy? Was that a criteria? Well, I think that maybe was more like intuitive in okay. as much as I was like, yeah, and uh, right. Yeah. But yeah, add that in. That would be perfect. Okay. And so it was, yeah, good call on the not writing a book. <laughs> that doesn't make you money. I mean, not directly. Not right, well, right. For some people it does. Well, if you're like Danielle Steele or something. It's totally. Then you're just pumping out the books yeah, one yeah. after the other. But well, you so know how they have book factories, right? They actually have like I I watched a whole video that these authors that pump yeah. out books like crazy. They just have people write books, yeah, and then they just put their name. Well, on. it's like the old masters, you know, in the Renaissance, the yeah. artists, and you know, they had Dan- a whole yeah. workshop. 
Danielle still is writing her own books, though. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And the way I kind of thought about it was, like, and you've spoken about the Pareto Principle, 80-20, and about finding your, what do you call it in the Do Less Experiment? Vital few. That. Yeah, which I got from Darren Hardy. Okay. But the idea is, right, the, what are those specific things that do most of the work, the legwork in your business? And for me, that's content creation and podcast and the content creation of the podcast. And I asked myself, what leads itself to the next thing, like chess moves? You know, if you do one thing, then what's the next and what's the next and what's the next? And there can be some sort of sequencing that can be really beautiful, like starting a podcast and building a community of women that are interested in these ideas will be a good foundation for writing a book. Oh yeah. And there'll be a great foundation for getting speaking gigs. And it'll even be a great foundation for running another mastermind. It's just not right now. I don't have to run them all at exactly the same time in 2018 while I'm also trying to cook up a baby. Yeah. I think it's so wise. Smart. I like it. Yeah. And it's really helpful as a creative entrepreneur like yourself to say, it doesn't mean no, it's just not now. Because otherwise we feel like, oh God, that means, you know, never. And then I feel bad and then I feel limited. And then, you know, it's hinging on my sense of freedom. And it comes back to your bandwidth too, because like if you have a team of like five full-time folks, like you can accomplish more with that because they're doing a lot of work for you where you could focus on your vital few and then other things could get done. But if like a lot of people on here are, solo preneurs or kind of very small teams. And so there's a limited amount of stuff that we can actually put out. Right. And I'm not putting an unrealistic expectation on myself that suddenly I'll be a seven figure business with 10 team members within the next nine months before I get pregnant. Like that's just maybe, but probably not. I am where I am and everybody's entrepreneurial path is different. And someone I really love, Mark Silver talks about how it takes an average of seven years to get to a foundation of steadiness, I think steadiness and ease and success in your entrepreneurial path. And for me, like I'm in year two, it's still Mm, all over. Like there's, there's learning, there's growing, there's figuring out, there's testing. And I don't have to figure it all out before I have my next kid. I just have to do enough of what works. So, so smart. And I, you know, that seven year framework, that's accurate for us. I would say it took oh, until yeah. 2017. So I started my site in even, 2010. Yeah, and we're not then, even seven years. No, we're not together. So from 2013, we've only been uh, not be even, it'll be five years in August. So it'll be interesting to see where things are at in 2020. Well, I agree. I mean, that's with, <laughs> you know, like Facebook wasn't profitable for the first seven years. You know, Amazon, the same thing. Like, and you look at these in Netflix, you like go down the list of these bigger entities like these bigger corporations and it's usually about around the seven year time frame is when this stuff really and you know this from working in startups etc but it is that that consistency is so important you know kind of what you're talking about you've set yourself up so you can be consistent yeah even when it's slower you know and that's the piece that's more important than anything else it really is because Mm -hmm. you're gonna learn things even when you're only working 10 hours a week just as you would as you're working 40 hours a week, but like you're working 10 hours a week consistently and you plan that out, which is amazing. Congratulations. This is awesome. No, it feels so relaxing to hear yeah. your plan. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. cool. You know, something that you're reminding me of too is like, 
there's this like sexiness and kind of hustle that comes with doing it all feeling like you're like, Oh, I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. And when you really cut it back and you pair it back to that one thing and you ask yourself, am I willing to do this one thing for seven years? Like, will I still be interested in this thing? If I showed up every day for seven years and all I did was a podcast, it's a good reflection question for me to be like, I'm in it. I I could talk about this for seven years. And I almost think that this is a useful metric. Like it feels a little underwhelming, right? It feels like it feels like, you know, what is my big hairy audacious goal? It's like, be a podcast host. And I see so many other people that are, <laughs> that are like, they're doing what seems like everything. And they're like, oh yeah, a podcast is part of my marketing strategy. And it's like one of the 27,000 things that I do. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing enough. Like panic, alarms go off. I actually think that's like a good signal. Yeah. When you're able to settle back and say, hey, first of all, it's super simple what I do. I can explain it. I don't need an elevator pitch. What do you do? I'm the host of a podcast, right? Yeah. And it feels just, it like, it tickles my ego a little. My ego is kind of going, but you should do more, right? And I'm like, yeah. But I think that if you have gotten to the point where you feel like you should be doing more, perhaps that's the sign that you're doing the right amount. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. Like that. I mean, if you're, if you are the type of person who tends to overdo things. Now, if you're the type of person who tends to underdo things, you probably might, you know, that's, I always, I should probably write a blog about like a do less caveat, which mm. is, this is not for everybody. Some people do actually need to do more. <laughs> true, true, true. But or, not our audience. Right. Generally speaking, like our audience does not need to do more. They need to do less. But there are some people who could stand to just like pick it up a little bit. <laughs> so, but these are not our, you know. But they're listening to completely different shows. I feel no, like they're going to listen to our show and be like, yeah. nope, not No, they wouldn't be interested. <laughs> but that's why I never say it because it's like, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be relevant. Yeah. Now, okay, so then you also talked about these OKRs. Mm, yeah. So what is an OKR? And you said it, it has to do with Q1. So just what is that? What is that? Like, well, now I'm dropping lingo on you from Yeah, now world. you've created a language, so we need to know what it is. <laughs> no, it's, so the good news is it's not mine. Okay. Um, it's actually from Google, I believe, and they set up a system called Objectives and Key Results. Okay. And it's a kind of nerdy goal setting. And I really like it. Like if you use the desire map and the core desired feelings as a system, or you use any other goal setting system, what... OKRs, which is O is for objectives, KR is for key results. What they do for you is they let you measure effectively. One of the biggest problems in goal setting is people will say like, I want to be in shape or I want to make more money or I just, I want to feel less stressed. The goals that we have in our life. The question is when time passes, how will you know, how will you know that you've achieved your goal? Like, I want to spend more time with my kid. It's a beautiful goal. So they set it up. Objective is what is it that you want? And a key result is how will you know when you've gotten it? That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yep. So I do this every quarter. It's part of my quarterly planning. I love quarters. I just, I think there's such magical rhythms. I feel like pregnancy is four quarters because of the first trimester. Well, and it's the seasons and it's fourth trimester. Yeah. (laughs) Which, by the way, I really recommend for you and anyone else listening who is pregnant or wanting to get pregnant is a book called The Fourth Trimester with Kimberly Ann Johnson. I don't know if you've read it yet, but it's Mm -hmm. awesome. So yeah, I mean, it syncs up with the seasons and it's very much 
you know, in line with cyclical living. Yeah. When you look at it quarterly, it's not, it's like, okay, I'm starting again. That's how it feels to me anyway. It's a fresh start every three months. And that's three, three months. Three months is such a beautiful rhythm because it's enough time to actually measure change. It's hard yeah. to measure. Like if there's variable research that says habits take 21 days to 66 days, right? We don't know. It depends on the habit, depends on the person, depends on the personality. So that gives you enough space. I always joke that it takes me three months to make a habit. The first one, I learn what I actually do. The second one, I try it and fail. And the third one, it finally sticks. So it gives you enough space to really be generous with yourself about something you want. So if you're doing a marketing plan, like my goal is to double the number of people that listen to my podcast this quarter, you know, what's my objective? Grow the podcast. What's my key result? Double the number from X to Y or X to 2X. And that's how I'll know. And then what I can do from there is create my marketing campaigns. It's like, okay, in the first month, I'm going to try writing a couple articles for Forbes. In the second month, I'm going to try doing Facebook Lives. And in the third month, I'm going to try doing one-on-one emails to my friends and friends of friends. And I can see which one has the best effect. And each quarter I get to reflect and learn, okay, did I grow the podcast? How much? And what strategies were effective? That's awesome. I feel like I need to get my notebook out and (laughs) I'm like, okay, we do have some OKRs for certain things, but in general, I don't know that we really do that. And now at the end of a quarter, so do you pre-schedule a time to reflect on the previous quarter and plan the next one? Is there a pause day in there? Because the the first quarter kind of runs right into the second quarter. Right, right. So this was part of my job when I was working at the company. It's called One Month, where I used to work. I helped run a lot of the operations and do a lot of the communications at the startup. And when I was working there, I would plan the first week and the last week of every quarter to have that time to plan. The beautiful thing, are you familiar with the 90-day year and the best self-planner? Do you know those? Yes, Yeah. So both of those are also based on quarters. And I've gone through the best self planner. It's a 13 week roadmap. Each quarter has 13 weeks. So what you can do is divide it into 12 weeks of three equal months. And then that first week is the planning week. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. I'm pushing up my glasses because I'm getting real geeky here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I do. I love all this stuff. I absolutely love all this stuff. And I think that I have noticed the more we slow down in our company and the more planning we do, even though it can feel like minutiae, the greater results that we create and the less we overwhelm ourselves. I mean, it really like, we used to just keep going full speed ahead and kind of course correct as we went. And, you know, it just felt a little crazy. And now we really do slow it down several times a year and it feels awesome. And we still, you know, we'll still throw in a spontaneous promotion every now and again. And, you know, nothing goes exactly according to plan or, you know, the whole plan doesn't play out exactly, but it feels so good to just slow it down and not look at that week of planning as lost time, but as gains time mm-hmm. because you'll be so much more efficient and you'll not overwhelm yourself when you take that time. One of the things that I think brings it into such relief in all uses of that word is when you get clear about what exactly you're doing. And most businesses, you can boil it down to one or two things. 
the one or two things that you do really well, like Fizzle, the Fizzle community with Corbett Bar. They do a lot of things. They have a podcast, a blog, all of this, but their one thing is a membership community. They want people to come to their courses. And you can do this for almost every business. The more complex it is, the harder it is to manage, the more planning time you need, the less time you have to execute. It just gets more complicated. And for me, when I had those one to two things, what I created next in my annual report was I did a year-end report where I wrote out a don't list. Here are all the things I'm not going to do. And it was shocking to me because some of the things that were on there surprised me. I told you already about mastermind and I'm not doing the mastermind. I'm not working on the book, but other things like speaking and going to conferences. And you mentioned this, which is kind of what reminded me is product launches. I'm not going to throw in a product launch here or there so that when it comes time and I get this impulse and I get this excitement, I'm like, no, actually like horse blinders on stay the course you're growing the podcast and you're making a baby. Yeah. Hmm. And what is your revenue model for your podcast? Because for Mm. those listening, they might be podcasters as well and wondering how is that making you money? Yeah. So we're in front of my bookshelf actually. And I'll tell you the book that I love the most. I can't believe I just grabbed it, but there's a book called business model generation that talks about all the different kinds of business models you can have. Right. And mine is a, two-sided platform. It means everything I create for the listener is free. So you as a listener can come and you can enjoy all of this content that I'm creating for you. As the audience grows, it becomes a valuable resource for sponsors, for people that want to do brand partnerships and align themselves with a community of busy moms, moms who are entrepreneurs, people who are in leadership, asking themselves questions about how to, I mean, Kate, like you said at the beginning, how to do less, how to be more efficient, how to not do it all. And we have such similar communities and interests and research areas, and yet we're making these different things in the world and it's just so fun. So yeah, does that answer your question about the it business totally model? totally answers yep. your question, my question, your question, my question. <laughs> Amazing. I have learned so much. What a juicy conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank I, you for offering your genius system up. For us I and our love, love geeking out about systems like these. So anytime. What was your master? What was your mastermind about that you led? Mm, I led a leadership mastermind for people who were at least three to seven years in either a professional like management or leadership track or three to seven years into building their own business because I've worked at a number of startups and I've led a number of teams. I knew that one of the biggest challenges in leadership development was the sense of isolation and loneliness of not having people to talk to. So I brought people across companies together to be able to dissect the learnings at the same time. Awesome. Smart. So that may come back in 2019. Right. And it may be more focused, particularly on women based on the startup pregnant platform. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whether you mean to or not, you might just end up. Where where are you from? Oh, I spent a lot of my life in California, but I'm based in New York City. Amazing. Hmm. And where should people come find you? So everything I'm doing right now, if you can't tell, based on our conversation, is Startup Pregnant. So startuppregnant.com. We've got a new baby Twitter, at Startup Pregnant. I think we just crossed our first 200 followers. Um, And you can find us like Instagram, Facebook, all of those places. But to be fair, I don't do it all. All I do is run the Instagram channel and it goes to Twitter and Facebook automatically. Smart. Yeah. Yes. Just as a side note. I was talking to my friend Jada Selner and she's great. 
And um, she shared with me her system for the five P's, which is, I can't remember all of them, of course, so it's not helpful, but that one is just pick one platform. So I love that. Mine is also Instagram. Yeah. I just repost everything that I put on Instagram onto Facebook. I just do it manually because I don't like the way it at tags. Oh, yeah. I just, I get weird about things like that. <laughs> I, this, Other this than that. Like type A showing. Yeah, I do it. I share it to Instagram and then I reshare manually from Instagram and change the content. Okay. So we do the same thing. Okay. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, but for everyone listening who thinks like, oh my God, how do you do it all? The answer is you don't. Yeah, no. And also if you really, sometimes you can scroll through and you'll see like 13 weeks where I just didn't do it. Like that's like look deeper inside of, and people aren't doing it all. They can't. No one is. No one is. And if they are, they end up having a nervous breakdown. It comes due. So the seven year thing is really true entrepreneurs that tell me all the time that you have to hustle and work all the time to make it work. They're generally young men that tell me this, generally young privileged white men, but I'm not going to lump everyone into one category. They burn out at the four year or seven year mark. And then they take a year or two before starting their next company. It comes due. The cycle is true. So it's true. Yeah. I just hit my seven year and in 2017 was the year of relaxing. (laughs) Like Bravo. For me, I mean, it wasn't relax. I mean, we, there was a lot of other, we bought a house, we had to move, we had a, you know, all that other stuff, but it's true. Like 2017 was the year of like, what the fuck just happened? You know, this last from 2009 to 2017 was basically like, what just happened? Like, how did I get here? You know, and all this stuff. And it was a lot of reflection that took place. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Totally. Yeah. It will come to Thank you, Sarah. You're the best. Thanks. Thanks so much. Ever feel like you're constantly doing things but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you? Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrup.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.